turn to read together this morning from the book of Psalms, the book of the Psalms, specifically Psalm 106. I will read in your hearing verse 1 through 8, and then conclude my reading with verse 33 and 34. Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed, blessed are they that keep judgment, he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. Oh, visit me with thy salvation, that I may say the, see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory in thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power be known. Verse 43, many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. <clears throat> we turn there in a moment. Would you turn with me first <clears throat> in your hymn book? To hymn number 171. Standing, please. When thickly beat the storms of life, and heavy is the chastening rod, the soul beyond the waves of strife views the eternal rock, her God. What hope dispels? 
the Spirit's gloom when sinking deep affliction shock fade through the mist of the tomb points to the everlasting rock is there a man who cannot see that joy and grief are from above? Oh, let him believe in the need and on his father's chastening love. Hope, grace, and truth with gentle hand shall lead a bleeding Savior's flock and show them in the promised land the shelter of the eternal rock. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> As we come now to this first Lord's Day in the new year, 2022, I would remind you that it has been my habit in recent years, as you know, to take this Lord's Day off from wherever I am in my routine of expositions and to turn to some or other text more suited to the recognition of God's providence in this occasion. To that end, I have brought you brought your attention today to this 106th Psalm to fix our attention only briefly to this thought. Our nevertheless God. This we are told by scholars of the Hebrew tongue this is the first of ten hallelujah songs. They are called that because they begin with that word, which is not so apparent in our translation, but it is so. The first of ten hallelujah psalms. Calvin introduces us to this psalm by telling us that the First and last two verses of this psalm form a part of that psalm which David delivered into the hands of Asaph to be sung before the Ark of the Covenant after it was brought back from the house of Obed-Edom to Mount Zion in First Chronicles 16. 
34 through 36. As such, by its nature, it was meant to rehearse in Israel's ears a vast catalog of her provocations, her incessant apostasies, her prolific wickedness, and God's unfailing faithfulness. And I suggest to you today, what could possibly be better suited than these to occupy our hearts here just in the vestibule of a new year? What could better suit our frame than the contemplation of these subjects? Israel, as we have seen in the book of Joshua, and again now in our study of the book of the Judges, Israel sinned repeatedly. Her apostasies know no end. And this river of rebellion and disobedience in Israel seems only to have ever been dammed up for short periods before it bursts forth again in wild currents of shameful flooding disobedience. But always, 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 in the face of her unceasing offenses, Israel's God is faithful. Israel's God is merciful. Israel's God remembers. <laughs> In order to the demonstration of Israel's culpability and to demonstrate the very depths of their guilt, the psalmist uses no less than three verbs to describe it, all in the compass of just one verse. Verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wicked. <laughs> three different Hebrew verbs in one verse, so that the psalmist might demonstrate to us the absolute depth of Israel's culpability. That first verb used, sin, is a word that means to miss, to miss a mark. It's familiar to us more in that Greek word in the New Testament. But it means simply to miss. And Israel repeatedly missed the marks God set for her. That second word in our Bible called to have committed iniquity. The word means to pervert, to make crooked. They took the law of God and perverted it. 
and as if those two were not sufficient. He comes along with this word to have done wickedly. And that word is the strongest of all. It literally means to violate a person, to vex them sorely. Israel's perpetual conduct violated God's right and vexed him sorely. But then, as I want us especially to see this morning, in every provocation, God is faithful. Faithful to himself. Faithful to his word. Faithful to his covenant. I give you this morning from this text four, at least four incidences to illustrate the truth of my proclamation. First of all, I would tell you that when they denied him, he nevertheless comes with restoration. When they have denied him, he is never the less restorative. He is never the less restorative. They denied him first in that they understood not. Look at verse 7. Your, our fathers understood not. They denied him in that they understood not even while his words and his mighty acts testified clearly to them. They were terribly guilty here because they denied him in that they understood him not. How could they not understand him? He was clear and his words associated with his acts were constantly before their faces. But they understood not. They just denied him. Secondly, they denied him in that they waited not for his counsel. Look at verse 13. They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. They denied him in not waiting for his counsel. Even while his revelation was daily before them in the wilderness. Did he not lead them by a cloud daily? Did he not lead them by a pillar of fire every night? Was he not constantly before them with his counsel? But yet they understood him not. They denied him. Understanding not. Thirdly, they denied him in that they worshipped idols. Look at verse 19. They made a calf in horror and worshipped the molten image. Verse 28. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Verse 34, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, 
but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. They served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, shed innocent blood, and the land was polluted with innocent blood. They denied him. They denied him. They denied him. Even while his miracles lay strewn always across their path every day. Look at verse 21. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. He strew his miracles in front of them and they trod over them every day and denied him. They denied him in that they worshipped idols. Oh, here, here, here is the quintessential denial. They adopted and worshipped and served, verse 36, idols. They denied him, I said. They denied him. They denied him. They denied him. And yet even in the iron grip of their inveterate denial, he brings restoration. Hallelujah. He is never the less restorative. <laughs> oh, look at verse 8 again. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his power, mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea. He dried it up. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Hallelujah. Verse 43, I read it to you many times. Did he deliver them? Many times, many times, many times. Did he deliver them? Why? Because in the face of all of their denial, he is never the less restored. <laughs> Nevertheless. <laughs> oh, how many times in 2021 did we deny him? If not in our words, in our lives. And yet here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are under the blessings of His protection. Here we are under the blessings of His provisions. Here we are under the blessings of His covenant mercies. He has shown Himself again this new year that He is never the less restored. Hallelujah. Never. Nevertheless, restorative. But in a second instance, I showed you that they denied him. But secondly, I'll show you. I showed you that in their denial, he was never the less restorative. But then, secondly, when they had despised him, 
he is never the less saving. <laughs> oh, in case you think that I've used a word that is too strong when I use the word despised. They, his own covenant people, despised him, I said. If you think the word is too harsh, I invite you to look with me at the description given to us in verse 16. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron in the, and Aaron the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abinadab. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in horror and worship. Molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forget God, their Savior, which had done great things for them in Egypt. Verse 24, yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. I said they despised him. Oh, their despite was of such a rancid nature that the psalmist tells us, oh, look at this, don't miss this. Their despite for him was of such a rancid nature that the psalmist tells us by inspiration of the Spirit that God abhorred his own inheritance. Look at verse 40. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. God hated his own people. I said it, they despised him. They despised him to such a degree I cannot conceive. God said he despised his only ones. Oh, blessed God, how vile must we be if our own God can loathe his own flock. Oh, their despite was such that they lusted after the world's dainties. In verse 14, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in their hearts. They despised, they envied and they despised our God, even God's own anointed ones. In verse 16, they envied Moses and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Oh, their despite was so vile that it drove them to provoke others to sin. Look at verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. I mean, their despite of the Lord was such that they provoked others to sin. Read it in Numbers 20, verse 12. Oh, their despite was so terrible that they destroyed 
the next generation of their own children. Look at verse 38. And shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. I mean, they despised the Lord so much that they didn't care to step out and destroy their own children in the next generation. We've done that in America. We've done that in America. Their despite was such, and all this is, this is the ultimate and crowning blow of putrefaction. Their despite was such that they turned the glory into their glory into shame, the shame of an ox. What was the glory of Israel? He said he turned Israel's glory. He changed their glory, verse 20, into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. What was the glory of Israel? It was not her cultivated fields. It was not her beautiful, varied scenery. It was not her peculiar and developed civilization. It was not even her temple and its rites. But her glory was her God. And they turned that into nothing more than a loathsome idol of a loathsome creature that eats grass. I said to you, I said to you, they despised the Lord. Yet, I'm here to proclaim to you on this first Sabbath day of this new year. Yet, we have this wonderful word in our text. Never the less. Yet, in it all, in all of this despite and abuse, in all of their spite, he is never the less saving. Verse 8, nevertheless, he saved them. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I'm very sure, my brother. My sisters, I'm very sure that once we cross over and we get over there, where all there won't be, hey, there won't be anybody in heaven bragging about their choice. There won't be anybody in heaven bragging about their decision. There won't be anybody bragging about themselves. They'll be saying, He saved me in spite of everything. He never was the less sin. In spite of all I can do to promote him, he never was the less saving. <laughs> oh, <laughs> in it all, he is never the less saving. Hallelujah. Oh, my sainted friend, listen to me. 
If you're a saint in the congregation this morning, listen to my words. You can never sink so low that he will not raise you up again. <laughs> oh, come up here, Brother Peter. Come up here to the pulpit, Brother Peter. Stand up here and testify to me what I just preached. Stand up here and give testimony. Dear old Peter, stand and say, my brother, look at what I did. Look at what I did. Oh, could I just testify to you? You can never sink so low that this Savior won't come back and pick you back up. <laughs> brother Gormley brought a message yesterday. What a word, brother. What a word. Oh, the night may be dark and the waves are so high, the clouds are so thick, I can't even see him and I forgot his blessings. And yes, worse than that, I've despised him. But he's never the less saving. <laughs> oh, I said you can't sink so low that he won't pick you back up. Sit down just a minute, Brother Peter. I'm going to call on another brother. Then can I say you can't run so far that he will not follow you and raise up a shade over your worthless head. Get up, Brother Jonah. Get up out of your seat, Brother Jonah. Come up here and testify with me this morning. Tell me what he did. Oh, he saved God. Raised up a shade over my worthless head. Even while I was pouting about his work. You can't run so far. There's nowhere, saints, you can run that you'll run so far that you won't find he is never the less saved. <laughs> oh, listen to me. Sit down, Brother John. Please, for just a minute, sit down. Can I say to you, you can't collapse under the weight of fallen hopes. And disappointed expectations. You can't collapse so deep. That God won't visit you again. On some lonely road. And make your heart burn within you. Oh get up disciples. All of you get up. Come up here and testify with me. From Luke chapter 24. Testify with me. They were disappointed, disillusioned, disheartened, discouraged, maybe even despairing. And all of a sudden he came and walked with them and talked with them. And their hearts burned within them. I'm telling you, he's never the less saved. Sit down. Now, my brethren, sit down for a minute. Can I just tell you again? I don't care how far your fickle heart has wandered. I don't care how badly your testimony has despised him. He is never the less God. He is never the less comforting. He is never the less consoling. He is never the less saving you.
<laughs> but wait. I'll give you a third illustration this morning. When they had doubted him, they denied him. They despised him. They doubted him. Oh, when they had doubted him, he comes with confirmation. He is never the less confirming. <laughs> hey, look at verse 24. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. Oh, they doubted him. They doubted him. <laughs> they just simply did not believe him. There it is, verse 24. They believed not his word. They doubted him. There are some of you here in this congregation. I don't know your heart, but I am your pastor. There are some of you that doubt him when he says, All that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Do you doubt that? Do you doubt that? John six thirty seven. Do you doubt that? Some of you do. There's some of you in this congregation that you doubt first Peter five seven. When he said, casting our care on him, for he careth for us. Some of you struggle to believe that. You just struggle with it. You doubt him. Some of you struggle with Hebrews 13.5 when he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. He'll prove true. He said, I'll never leave you. Oh, do you ever think of the words of that hymn? While the dew's still on the roses, the voice I hear falling on my ear, Son of God discloses. He'll never leave me. He'll never leave me. Do you doubt that? Do you doubt that? Oh, some of you doubt Philippians 4 and 19. He said, I'll supply all you need. I'll never fail to provide you with what you need. Some of you doubt that. You're not sure he's going to provide for you mentally. You're not sure he's going to provide for you physically. You're not sure he's going to provide for you emotionally. Do you doubt that? Israel did. They just did not believe his word. Oh, can I just tell you, I don't care how deep your doubt has sunk. I don't care how weak your confidence has grown. He is never the less confirming. <laughs> he is nevertheless God. Look at verse 10. He saved them from the hand of him that hated 
them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Hallelujah. And then believed they his words. They sang his praise. Hallelujah. He's never the less saving. <laughs> Whatever my doubts may be. Listen, what one commentator said. He said, as soon as the people cried, God heard them and sent them first a prophet and then a deliverer in Gideon. And this is going to tie us right back to our series next week. This commentator said, if we forsook God in our prosperity, it would be reasonable that God should forsake us in our need. But he does not deal with us according to our sins. Our claim does not lie in our merit, in our obedience and fidelity, in anything of ours, but in his nature and character and conduct. Because God is our Father. He hears us not out of consideration for our merits, but out of pity. For our distress. <laughs> Therefore, we not we need not fear that he will not respond to our call. To doubt is not to show our humility. To doubt God is not a sign of humility, but our distrust in the mercy of God and the influence of Christ's sacrifice and intercession. Oh, they doubted him. They doubted him. But he was never the less saving. <laughs> but my must I must hasten now to my final point. I would give your attention once to this that when they disrespected him, he never had the less compassion. He was never the less compassionate. So how is it in our text that it shows us Israel's crass disrespect? Oh, surely in this, that they forgot him. Verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. Verse 13, they soon forget his works. Verse 21, they forget God their Savior. Now I ask you this morning, what greater stroke of disrespect can anyone show than simply to be forgetful? Just forget them. Just forget them. Forget them. Oh, the pains of being forgotten. 
Some of you parents know it. The pain of being forgotten. Just forget them. Just forget them. What disrespect is this? What mammoth disrespect is this? They forgot They just forgot him. They just forgot him. But oh, hallelujah. <laughs> when we forget, our God has compassion and remembers for us. Verse 44, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry and he remembered for them his covenant. Hallelujah. Oh, I bless the Lord for how many times he has remembered for me when I've forgotten. Whatever may be our disrespect, whatever may be our disrespect, and this is the ultimate disrespect, but whatever form our disrespect may take, whatever the impertinence of our forgettings, our God is never the less mindful. He's never the less mindful. He's nevertheless remembering. <laughs> He's nevertheless conscious of his covenant. <laughs> oh, did he not say? Did he not say in the words and warning Israel in the words of Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40? If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have bought, brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant. Hallelujah. And we've done all of that, by the way, both as a nation and as a people. We've done all of that. But he said in verse 42, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember and I will remember the land. Hallelujah. <laughs> Can I just tell you, this God is never the less God whatever be my disrespect for him. Oh, I thank God this morning he is never the less God. Whatever my sin may be, he's never the less God after it than he was before it. <laughs> oh, how well did Matthew Henry say this? If God should not show mercy, if God should not show mercy to his people with a nevertheless, how should the glory of his mercy ever appear? 
If a physician should only cure a man that hath a headache or a toothache, one that hath taken cold or some small disease, a physician cure a man like that, it would not argue any great skill and excellency in the physician. But when a man is nigh the death, hath one foot in the grave, or is, at least in the eye of reason, past all recovery, if then the physician cure him, it argues much the skill and excellency of that physician. So now if God should only if God should only cure and save a people that were less evil and wicked or that were good indeed, where should the excellency of his mercy appear? <laughs> but when a people shall be drawing near to death, lying bedridden as it were in the Lord out of his free love for his own name's sake, shall rise and cure such an unworthy people. This sets out the glory of God and his mercy. It is said in the verse, they rebelled at the sea, even at the Red Sea, or as it is in the Hebrew, and this struck me, I studied it out to be sure, Matthew, not that I know more than Matthew, I never know as much as Matthew Henry. But I wanted to see it for myself. I looked at the Hebrew words. Matthew Henry said that this verse says, we translate it in our Bible, they rebelled at the, Red, at the Red Sea, even at the Red Sea. But in the Hebrew it says, they rebelled at the Red Sea, even in the Red Sea. When the waters, says Matthew Henry, stood like walls on both sides of them, when they saw those walls of water that never people saw before and saw the power and the infinite power of God leading them through on dry land, then did they rebel at the sea, even in the sea. God was looking in their hearts. And I say, says Matthew, Shall the Lord put forth so much grace? But he saved them nevertheless. Should God put forth so much grace upon a people that were under the law and not put forth much more of his grace to those that are under the gospel? Hallelujah. Yes, sir, brother. Yes, sir, brother. He saved them nevertheless. And if he saved that rebellious people while they rebelled in the Red Sea with the water standing in the walls, what do you think he does with the saint under gospel administrations? He'll never be the less saving. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And why? Why? Why would he do that? Why would he do that, brother? Jacob raised the question for us on yesterday. Why? Why? Can we get a why? I can. I can. Can I give it to you? It's in verse 8. Why would he do that? For his 
name's sake. That he might make his power known. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Look at verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Why would he do that? For his own name's sake. Matthew Henry has said, wrote in his commentary, but he was actually quoting Ralph Erskine in 1750. Ralph Erskine said this, This improves his name in every case. We should look to his name in every case. For he hath a name suiting every want and every need. Do you need wonders to be wrought for you? His name is wonderful. <laughs> look to him to do it for that name's sake. Do you need counsel and direction? His name is Counselor. Cast yourself on him for his name's sake. Have you mighty enemies to debate with? His name is the mighty God. Seek that he may exert his power for his name's sake, the mighty God. Do you need his fatherly pity? His name is everlasting Father. As a father, father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them to hear him. Plead his mercy for his name's sake as an everlasting Father. <laughs> Do you need peace, external or internal? His name is a Prince of Peace. Seek for his name's sake. That he may create that peace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, sirs, his name is Jehovah Japhai, Raphai, Jehovah Raphai, the Lord, the healer and physician. Seek healing for his name's sake. His name. Do you need pardon? His name is Jehovah said Kenu. The Lord our righteousness. Seek for his pardon for his name's sake. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you need provision in extreme want? His name is Jehovah Jireh in the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen. The Lord will provide. Do you need his presence? His name is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Emmanuel, God with us. Look to him to be with you for his name's sake. His name is the strength of the Lord. Do you need comfort? His name is consolation of Israel. Do you need shelter? His name is a city of refuge. Do you have anything, anything, any need at all? His name is all in all. <laughs> Sit down and devise names to your wants and needs. And you'll find that he hath a name suitable to every one of them. Your supply, he hath wisdom to guide you. The power to keep you, merely the mercy to pity you. 
truth the shield your holiness to sanctify you righteousness to justify you grace to adorn you and glory to crown you for his name's sake hallelujah hallelujah for his name hey he'll do it he'll do it for his name's sake because he's never the less named. Oh, now the psalmist closes with these words, verse 47. Save us. Oh, Lord, our God, save us. And gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, I'd close these thoughts this morning with the very sober and judicious words of Simeon. He said, we find in this world almost a universal prejudice against religion as if it were the source of melancholy. And more especially if the wickedness of man be portrayed in very deep colors as it should be, it is supposed that we shall drive all our hearers into despair. But where shall we find the sins of Israel more awfully depicted than in this psalm before us? Yet how is it closed? With weepings and with wailings? No. But with as devout an inscription of praise as can be found in the entire inspired volume. The truth is that nothing so elevates the soul as a contrasted view of God's mercies and our own vileness. And no man will build so high a superstructure of praise as he who digs deepest into the corruptions of his own heart. And lays his foundation broadest in the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can I just say it one final time? For your consideration in 2022, he is never the less God. Stand with me and turn with me, please. In your hymn book, to number 100 and stand and sing. Begin my tongue, some heavenly theme, 
and speak some boundless thing. The mighty works or mightier name of our eternal King. Tell of His wondrous faithfulness and sound His power abroad. Sing of the glory and the grace of our Redeemer God. Proclaim salvation from the Lord for wretched dying men. His hand inscribed the sacred word with an immortal pen recorded by eternal love. Each promise clearly shines, nor can the powers of hell remove those everlasting lines. His word of grace is sure and strong as that which built the skies. The voice that rules the stars along speaks all the promises. Oh, might I hear his heavenly tongue, but whisper, Thou art mine. The gentle words which raise my song to notes almost divine. <laughs> 